Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Expecto to have a good time tonight as we patronum and patrol our way through this week's episode of the Middle Seats podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm the headmaster of the Middle Seats School of Movies and Entertainment, Mr. Andrew Auger. Let's meet the rest of the wizards on this great, great crew. He's so cool, you'll want to steal a strand of his hair and make a polyjuice potion just so you can be him, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's taking a lot of self-control to not just apparate away after that pun-filled intro there, Drew, but I'll stick it out for you. Be happy he talks positively about you. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of which, he's the water boy for the Hufflebuff practice what? squad of Quidditch, Mr. Jake Hensler. Well, you know what? You called me a wizard earlier, and that's about the nicest thing you've ever said on this podcast, right. so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could avada kedavra that whole compliment. But anyway, let's get into the show here. The Middle Seas Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you didn't get it from my very labored and tired puns at the beginning, we are reviewing a new film in the Harry Potter franchise tonight, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. So we'll get to that in a bit, but of course we start our show with Lobby Talk, where one member of the crew will pitch a topic – um, and we just kind of go back and forth on it, something fun. And then we go into our news segment. There's some pretty big news that we want to get to this week. It's a pretty big show in general. We haven't had a full show in a couple of weeks, but we're glad to be back with you now for a very big episode. So without further ado, let's apparate ourselves towards Lobby Talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. All right, so this week it's my turn to do Lobby Talk, and it's also about that time of the season where people just start to not feel so well. Um, so you might not be able to tell. My throat's a little sore. I got some sniffles going on. I'm fighting off the early stages of a cold. Nate himself had a pretty nasty cold last week. I'm sure Andrew will be in due time. My immune system's awesome. I'm not going to bank on that, but continue. Knock on wood for you. Um, so I got to thinking, you know, what are some of our favorite movies to watch when we are down in the dumps like this, when we're feeling sick and we just need to lay in bed under the covers with some soup and put on a nice movie. So that being said, since Andrew has such a great immune system and is never sick, let's see what his sick pick is. Andrew, go ahead. Well, then, first of all, this question's irrelevant because I'm never in bed because, well, I'm, I'm in bed to hang out. Yeah, what, what are you talking about? You know what You're I mean. You're in bed till 3 o'clock if you can. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a good question because it got me thinking, like, what do I like to watch? And not necessarily just for, like, even just being sick, more like lazy, don't want to do anything, don't want to even really think or challenge myself. And the movie that I'm, I picked, I mean, it makes you think, but in ways that are like fun. And, you know, they're like, oh, I never noticed that. And, oh, I never noticed this. And for me, that's the Lego movie. And Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who are the directors of that film, uh, they have such a unique style and they have such a warm, welcoming style, but they also tell smart jokes. They have a lot of talent with comedy. So that it's the type of movie where I can watch it over and over again and I can still laugh at the big jokes, but it's also something that it feels like I'm watching it for the first time every time I watch it because there are new references I'm picking out and stuff like that. Like that's something that I think is a good qualification for this question is, is it bringing anything new to the table 
without like making me like you know think about the weight of the world because that's the last thing you want to do you're just focusing on your health you're making sure that you're getting better but at the same time you don't want to just be bored staring at the wall so you know this is a good example and it hits all those quadrants that I think I look for when I'm just laying around right I think that's exactly what um, most of us feel um, and Lego Movie is definitely a good pick definitely fun easy upbeat kind of pick which I kind of feel for Nate what do you think what's your pick it's a pretty simple choice for me the movie begins with its two main characters sick in bed, quote unquote. That's Ferris Bueller's day off. Where you have Ferris, who obviously is playing hooky, and then you have the foil in Cameron, who should be in bed, but isn't. And it's just kind of fun to turn this sucker on and live vicariously through Ferris Bueller and all his antics. Because as you're lying there, probably exhausted, and you're like, I could get out of bed and go towards Chicago if I really wanted to, but I'm just going to watch Ferris do it and be all happy about it. Right. It pinpoints, you know, just every rebellious thought that you're thinking as you're just laying there. You know what I mean? Like, what mm-hmm. if I just took the world by storm? It's such a great fantasy. And when you said it, I was kicking myself. I was like, that's the, that's the perfect sick movie. Yeah, Bravo, that, is, mm-hmm. that is a great sick movie. Speaking of. <coughs> and Sorry. at the very least, you can always just relate to Cameron at the beginning of the movie. When Cameron's down in Egypt's land. <laughs> How long have you been practicing that? Every I day. love that. Whenever yeah. something bad happens, I'm just like, channel my Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is about as good of a sick pick as you can get. And I, I love how it's like, I want to like go out and be like Ferris when I'm down and sick. And then when I'm not sick, I just do what I normally do. <laughs> um, so I guess that, that leads me to my pick. And... I kind of feel like both of these guys. I want something easy, lighthearted, not going to challenge my mind too much. Something like uh, Hereditary or Requiem for a Dream. That's the easy ones? No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you, you <laughs> want to know what the hard one is. I feel like I'll get even more sick watching those, but continue. <laughs> um, no, so typically I'd want to watch something like either mindless or easy that I've seen before, like uh, maybe Tarzan or something like that. Um, but I think my pick would be actually Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty to me is very fun easy to watch, not a whole lot of mindfulness going on, and I love Jim Carrey. He's He makes me laugh without fail all the time. Bruce Almighty would probably be my sick pick. I think the common theme I'm seeing, though, is comedies, right? Absolutely. You know, that's a pretty good qualifier. But I think even looking beyond comedy, I'm kind of pivoting and asking a separate question. What's the second best genre, do you think? Animated, like you said. Something easy. Yeah. Animated, I think action works, depending on which action movie. Yeah, it depends how much. I can see myself getting really into, like, Baby Driver when I'm watching or just chilling out. Mm-hmm. It still needs to be lighthearted action. Right. Like, Baby Driver is upbeat. Like, I'm thinking more like Die Hard rather than... Blade Runner 2049. Or, that's, that kind of stuff. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Blade Runner 2049. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, great movie, but not when you're already low. Nate's favorite of last year. I wouldn't put him past it to do it. <laughs> I still need to get that DVD, man. I, I miss that movie. <laughs> Jake, do you have anything else to add before we moved on? I think this was a good question. Um, but if you guys are listening to this at home and you're feeling a little down or a little sick and you want to pop in a movie, what's the first movie that comes to your mind? Let us know in the comments section. Send us an email, middleseedshow at gmail.com. All that jazz. Anyway, that will do it for our Lobby Talk segment. Let's move into news. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So guys, before we get into a little bit more of the fun of the show, we need to kind of take a step back and get into some more somber news. Of course, the news that rippled throughout not just the 
comic book industry but the entertainment industry and kind of the world in general. Uh, I saw a lot of people that like I didn't even know they were huge fans of movies pay their respects to Stan Lee um, who of course is the co-creator of several iconic superheroes for Marvel. Uh, if you really know anybody in Marvel, he had some kind of hand probably creating them. Spider-Man, X-Men, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Punisher, etc., etc., etc. He passed away at the age of 95, grew to prominence in the 60s and 70s is when he created all these huge heroes because you had your Batman and Superman and they were kind of the big deals of like the 30s and the 40s. And then you had the second wave and Stan Lee was a big part of that next wave. Uh, and beyond that, of course, everybody knows him from his famous cameos. He appeared in over 50 movies, cameos in almost all Marvel movies, uh, except for the really bad ones. Uh, he picked very specific ones to not make cameos in. But I think the point is that is that he understood and loved the characters that he created, and we all loved him for creating those characters. So, Jake, give kind of like a little bit of a mini eulogy to your thoughts about Stanley. Oh, man, on a whim. Um, I mean, Stanley really has one of the most legendary legacies of, you know, entertainment, cinema. Um, I mean, he created some of the most iconic characters. Without him, there are no Avengers. There are billions of dollars lost at the box office. And honestly, and what he was about, and more importantly, is how many lives would be different and not be touched. He made these characters to be relatable and to bring joy to people's lives and to get them away from the difficulties of real life and just be a spectacle and be in awe. And that is something that you can't, you know, measure that, put that into money. And it's just amazing. He really did some amazing things in his life, more than most do and as much as most people can hope for, I think. Nate? Yep. Excelsior, Stanley. Hell yeah. He was a absolute treasure and he left behind a fantastic legacy that really just shaped this whole modern era of not only superheroes, but just... Uh, characters in general. Stan Lee excelled about making human characters. And even though all of his characters had something cool or strange or uh, fantastic about them, at the end of the day, they were all human and relatable. And that's what made them so compelling. And that's why they're such a dominant force in today's media. As a man, Stan Lee always just struck me as a very wholesome guy. Uh, you could tell that he always loved doing his cameos in almost like a grandfatherly way, just because it was fun and it's what people expected him to do, and he loved doing it. He even did a cameo for the new Teen Titans movie, even though it's a DC movie, just because that's how much he means to the comic book industry as a whole. And it was fun for him to do. And I think that kind of gesture kind of sums up Stanley. He just loved what he did and what he contributed to the whole medium and film as a whole is awesome. Think about those heroes that I was kind of alluding to, like Batman and Superman, the big ones of the 30s and the 40s. Like, we love them. They're iconic. They're something that we strive to be, but they're not exactly relatable. Like, Bruce Wayne is a billionaire orphan whose best friend is his butler. He lives in seclusion, and he almost murders people. Superman, he's literally an alien. Not all of us are 6'4", chiseled with a huge pex, you know what I mean? Like, he's a beacon of hope. He's a symbol. But... They're not exactly relatable. And Nate, I think you put it perfectly when you were like, that's why Stan Lee's characters that he's created through time have kind of stuck with us. Um, and I'm not saying that like every one of his superheroes that he created were just like, you know, ordinary people. But I mean, the big ones like Spider-Man, uh, a lot of the X-Men, 
They're just regular people that just happen to have extraordinary powers. They're misfits. And that's something Stanley did so well. He celebrated the misfits. Didn't matter what race you are, what color you were, what gender you were, what height you were. It doesn't matter because in the end, we can all be heroic and we all can do heroic things. It's so crucial, especially in today's day and age, that that kind of message gets out to the people and that those messages get embedded in our youngest generations. And Stanley's been doing that for decades now. So I think all of us can basically say, without a doubt, thank you to Stanley. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. I also am glad to know that he will be back in some form on screen before we have to say completely goodbye. Really quick, guys, what's your favorite cameo that Stanley made? For me, it's definitely his from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where they pseudo-confirmed a popular fan theory that Stanley was a watcher, and that's why he showed up in so many uh, Marvel movies. Yeah, and, that is pretty Yeah, great. I'm glad they finally got around to that. Like, Stanley cameos are always fan service because everyone's always watching for him, and that, I think, is the pinnacle. Um, I think that might be the coolest, most interesting, thoughtful one, Nate. I would probably go with that one, too. Um, but as far as, like, comedy goes, his cameo in, first, in the first Iron Man, when he's supposed to be Hugh Hefner, is hysterical. That one consistently makes me laugh or chuckle whenever I see it. The ones I really like the most are the ones that, you know, they they don't distract from the story or anything like that. And a lot of the Stanley cameos, they do a good job. They come before or after or just like in the middle of an important scene, but they lighten the tension. And I think the big one that I think really works well is the one from Captain America Civil War where he shows up and he kind of lightens the tension after a big emotional fight between Tony and Steve. Uh, he tells the whole joke with Tony Stank and I love that they have him mispronounce the name but there are a lot of those like that mm -hmm. like the one in the amazing spider-man is really good like how that one is timed out and everything like that but yes. that's the one that i always quote is the the one from civil war that's one of my favorites because <laughs> it's probably my favorite of the mcu movies too to be honest so again thank you stanley uh you will be missed without a doubt pivoting to some more news uh more fun news i would say the trailer for one of the biggest movies of next year and a movie that is now eight years in the making it will be nine um let's take a look at the teaser trailer for toy story 4 You see the new movie trailer? For what? You ain't see it? See what? They're making another Toy Story movie. No! I thought those movies were done, dog. They made three movies. They did make three movies. This is number four. Oh! I am Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. <laughs> and then when he's like, you are a toy! To infinity and your mom. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. That was a quick snippet of the teaser trailer for Toy Story 4, which is due out in theaters next June. Uh, it is the sequel, of course, to Toy Story 3, the fourth film uh, in the now quadrilogy, which a lot of people thought Toy Story 3 was 
to be honest, one of the perfect threequel movies ever made. Uh, it made over a billion dollars worldwide. It's the 25th highest grossing movie of all time in the world. It's one of only a handful of animated movies ever to be nominated for Best Picture. 99% of Rotten Tomatoes. But here we are with another Toy Story movie coming out. Uh, it's directed by Josh Cooley, who's been an inside Pixar guy for a couple of years. Stars Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Joan Cusack. They all return. And then we're adding actors like Keegan-Michael Key, Jordan Peele, Tony Hale, Patricia Arquette, and a couple other voices. So, Nate, what do you think about the initial teaser that we saw and then the follow-up reaction to the teaser? Yeah, I definitely liked the skit with Key and Peele a little bit more than the original teaser, just because it gave us a little bit more to work with. Um, this is like the the lobby greeters, right? I don't know yeah. what the official yeah, yeah, name yeah, the is valets, for them. Yeah. The valets, thank you. So, at the very least, I'm intrigued that that whole scene takes place outside of the classic toy room, and they might go a little bit more into what other objects happen to be alive in this Toy Story universe, because maybe we'll see more than just toys. Maybe they'll go like a PG-rated uh, sausage party type of deal. Who knows? Um, at least, like, the windows open, the carnival setting could be something different, and I'm still betting that this ends up being a whole little trilogy of its own. And we get like a prequel or sequel trilogy to the original Toy Story lineup now that Andy is officially out of the picture. Jake, what do you think? It's going to take a lot to get me really excited for this movie. Because like Andrew said, Toy Story 3 is one of the most well-regarded and successful, um, you know, end of a trilogy ever. And on top of that, it is... One of my absolute favorite animated movies. It's one of the very few movies that really can get me choked up at the end. Um, I absolutely love it. So for them to just try and bring it back, I'm very, 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 very skeptical. That being said, I, I obviously hope it's good. I've heard um, some pretty positive things from like Tom Hanks over Twitter. I'm just, it's going to take a lot for me to go, yes, I can't wait. That being said, I have no problems with the, the teaser and the teaser reaction. They didn't do a whole lot for me, except introduce new characters, which is, you know, fine and dandy, as Nate would say. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to need um, more background and plot and story and to really figure out what I'm going into to get excited for it. See, like, here's the thing about this. Um, I, like, understand both arguments. Like, I understand the whole idea that now Andy's gone, uh, the toys can have their new adventures, and I absolutely... Nate, I think that theory will hold true that we probably might get a new trilogy out of this. Um, but I'm just not convinced it's a good idea, man. Like, we've seen how good Pixar can be with the original stories. Like, Coco came out last year. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, Inside Out is one of the best movies of the decade. They still have creative juices left in the tank. So while the occasional sequel I'm cool with, like Incredibles 2, obviously we've been waiting for a long time for that. But, like, this Finding Dory stuff and this Toy Story 4 stuff, it's just, like, we're not going to be able to just keep running this into the ground like this, guys. Like, you're just pushing your luck with every one, unfortunately. Toy Story 4 is in trouble because, and I know this will look ridiculous in, like, seven or eight months where they prove us wrong. But, like, Toy Story 3, for me, is very close to a perfect movie. So, if Toy Story 4 is, like, good, really good, 8 out of 10 movie, it's still a disappointment. It's still kind of not living up to the standards of the other three movies. Right. So it's just like playing with fire with me, and it just I just really hope that this decision was made for actual creative reasons. And I'm skeptical that it was. 
I agree because mm-hmm. I think Toy Story three ended absolutely beautifully, tied up with a perfect ribbon bow, what what have you. What else are they gonna do in this fourth one that's gonna make me go, oh my goodness? And again, Pixar is you know are the head honchos, so they very well could prove me wrong. I hope they do, but I can't imagine they lift me that much more from where Toy Story three was that I'll go. Yes, that was necessary. Yes, that was needed. It's going to take a lot. It's so hard to see a series continue after a perfect ending point. Yeah. There's a reason Breaking Bad ended after five seasons. There's a reason that Lord of the Rings didn't continue into sequels and why the prequels ended up being a bad idea. Yeah, there, there's a reason uh, Harry Potter ended, right? Oh, wait. Oh, We'll, Careful. We'll get to that. We'll get to Spoilers. That. <laughs> Sorry, we'll get to that. <laughs> like, as soon as they announced Toy Story 4, I think all of us had the same universal reaction of why. What? It ended so perfectly. It's not needed, but money, money, money. Exactly. <laughs> to, to quote the character from the movie. God, this is what I hate, money. <laughs> yeah, and Pixar has made it clear that they are perfectly fine doing sequels and prequels now. We had all the sequels that you already mentioned we had monsters university um on top of all that uh finding dory they are perfectly fine hashing it out sequels and prequels now and unfortunately audiences kind of proved them right because stuff like good dinosaur and coco made significantly less money than those sequels so at the end of the day pixar is a business and you might call it selling out or it's catering to the market and Unfortunately, that seems to hamper original stories in this regard. The public's doing what they can. Like, they rightfully shun Good Dinosaur because Good Dinosaur sucked. But, like, Inside <laughs> Out did a good job, and, like, Coco made its money. But you're right, Nate, that, like, the sequels are blowing it out of the water. Incredibles 2 is the highest-grossing animated movie ever, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think you're yes, right. Yes, it is. And those movies are good. I'm not saying they're bad movies, but they just don't live up to the legacies of the films that come before it. And I'm just really worried that... We're going to take it a bridge too far and things are going to collapse in on us. Right. Again, we're just kind of going off general feeling right now. We didn't even really talk about what we saw in the trailers except for Nate briefly. But like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, wait, thank you, Nate. <laughs> Stay in the topic. But like that's what you got to do with a teaser. And it it's a topic that I think a lot of people are interested in. What is your thoughts on Toy Story 4? Of course, let us know. Comment, email, everything. Blah, 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 blah. Um, from one childhood icon to another. Guys, Pokemon. Hell yeah. This is a little bit – this one's a little close to Nate and Jake's heart for sure. Uh, I'm going to be the nice like moderator in the middle of this one because we saw some stuff that was very interesting this week, Uh, something that I never thought I'd see from a Pokemon movie. Ryan Reynolds in the new Detective Pikachu trailer. I remember. You wanted to be a Pokemon trainer when you were young. Someone there? Here we go. I know. You can't understand me. But put down the stapler or I will electrocute you. Did you just talk? Whoa. Did you just understand me? Uh, You can hear him, right? Pika Pika. Yeah. Pika Pika Pika. He's adorable. I don't need a Pokemon, period. Then what about a world-class detective? So yes, that's Deadpool himself, uh, Ryan Reynolds. He voices Pikachu in Detective Pikachu, um, where this version of Pikachu is a private eye. It takes place in a world where Pokemons and humans coexist. It's kind of like a 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of scenario, but with Pokemon. Um, nobody can understand Pikachu except for a kid played by Justice Smith. They kind of go out on an adventure. Pikachu is helping him track down his dad. The movie's also going to star Ken Watanabe, Bill Nye, Karen Sony from Deadpool fame, Dopender. Um, it opens in May of 2019. It's kind of the like follow-up to Avengers 4. So good luck with that at the box office. <laughs> but, you know, this trailer actually did get itself a little bit of buzz. You know, it'll probably won't be like that second week slump uh, after Avengers. You know what I mean? Like this will actually probably make a decent amount of money. The question is, what do our Pokemon experts think of this? Jake, what do you think? Thanks, Andrew. Um, but respectfully, no. We're going to go to our resident, uh, resident Pokemon trainer first, Nate. I know that's typically how we do things. It goes like we alternate people, but... Nate, you can go two in a row. Go ahead. All right. Well, first off, Jake, that's Pokemon Master, not Trainer. Thank you very oh, much. Excuse me. I'm oh call all 807. Just mute your mic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, audiences can tune out while Nate gets yeah. happy. Chapter four. <laughs> all right. So this is such a weird feeling for me. I don't know if I love or hate how this movie looks. And honestly, this just has me excited just to see whatever vision this turns out to be uh, because I'm not sure if Drew mentioned this the whole premise of this is that it is a live action Pokemon movie which is very very different because you are taking these animated characters that were designed for anime and putting them in real life and some of the results are either awesome odd or just plain creepy and it's going to be very interesting just to see how everything looks in the final product. Pikachu, for one, stands out to me as looking really fun as an actual furry mouse, as opposed to like the normal flat lines that we're used to seeing him as. But then you have stuff like Psyduck, Charizard, and Jigglypuff that all just look not quite plasticky, but not quite furry either. It's very odd. It's very clear that they had a vision going into this thing, and they are 100% committed to whatever that vision is. Kind of excited to see what happens with it. Back to you, Jake. I think the master's done. <laughs> He's the, the champion I'm part of the elite for. But I actually, I think I'm kind of excited for it. I'm not like jumping up and down, but I kind of like the trailer. I think, and Nate has talked to me about this in the past, and I think he's right. The key is to keep it very creative. Like, if you have a good story, great, but you have to use your Pokemon and their, you know, unique qualities and the details, all that kind of stuff. You have to get creative with them. Um, for the audience to really fall in love with it. You can't just have a detective story with Pokemon in it. That's not really going to go anywhere. You have to make, one, the characters interesting and fun and relatable and connect to them. But you have to have real fun and, and get creative with the details of all the Pokemon. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm not negative on it. Like, I'm more negative on Toy Story 4, for sure. I'm kind of interested. I need a little bit more footage and a little bit more information on it. But I think it looks okay. And I kind of like Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. He's... He's got a great mouth, not to sound weird, but he's got a, a great voice. What? He's very good at talking fast, is what I meant. <laughs> he has a great mouth. You've never sp spoken weirdly in your life, Andrew, never. I'm, not, I'm teasing okay. you, relax. <laughs> I know. 50 points from Hufflepuff. Um, but I, I think Ryan Reynolds is not a not a bad choice at all. He's he's good at quick talking. He's good at being witty. Um, you know what? I'm going to stand by what I said. He's got a great mouth. So <laughs> you doubled down. You really did. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with the trailer. I'd like to see more, but I'm not negative on it yet. Um, I'm definitely the novice. Is that a thing in Pokemon? 
You, you got you got your starter and didn't know where to go. Yeah, I started. You're Professor Oak has me running like grocery tasks or whatever. It you is. picked Bulbasaur. No, I'm more of a Squirtle guy. There you go. Uh, <laughs> see, so like I know some things, obviously. Like Snorlax is my spirit animal as far as Pokemon. I hope he's in the movie. Uh, but I grew up kind of. I know this is gonna be like slander. I was more of a Yu-Gi-Oh guy growing up. Uh, you don't get into Hogwarts with that. That's, I, that's just what I grew up with. I like the cards. I was an Exodia boy. <laughs> you know, it's just what I grew up with. I mean, I did play Pokemon, so I have a bit of nostalgia for the characters, but I think I'm definitely coming at this with the most, it, how is this going to look as a movie eyes? And as as it looks, it's an intriguing idea. It's just really weird to me. It's odd. It's it's. It could go wrong. Yeah, it could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And the director behind this, his name is Rob Letterman. Uh, he's done passable to mediocre kids movies pretty much his whole life. Monsters vs. Aliens. The Jack Black Goosebumps is a good comparison point, I think, for this. Because I think, you know, popular nostalgic properties getting a live action update of some sort. If it ends up like that, I think I'll be satisfied. Because that movie's pretty fun. And this one, all they have to do is just have a good time with it. Make it not insult the fans. Uh, I would really That's hope key. for that sake. Because Pokemon important. fans will be ruthless <laughs> if it's bad. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of them out there, clearly. Yeah. There's still legions. Amen. Think about how, like, Pokemon was so big that when it was used incorrectly, it might have sunk the 2016 election for Hillary Clinton. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how big oh, Pokemon man. is. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold out judgment. I think the initial shock of the trailer wore off for me where I'm like, oh, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Where I had to watch it two or three times in a row. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. how will it be? Is just kind of like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit style movie, and that's a great standard to hold it to. If he can be something as good as that movie is, where it has fun with all these famous iconic characters, but it still tells a nice mystery story, like that would be amazing. That would be great. And uses cartoons the way cartoons should interact in the real world, the same way Pokemon should interact here. Integrates it amazingly. That's what I'm hoping mm-hmm. for. So obviously. We've got a lot to still learn about this one. We've got several months till we talk about it, but we for sure will be talking about that when it comes out in May. That'll do it for our news segment this week. Let's pivot into the wizarding world of Harry Potter and that series with the latest installment in that franchise, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Magic blooms only in rare souls, but the old ways serve us no longer. You've heard the rumors. Grindelwald had a vision. So you're asking me to help hunt him down? I can't move against Grindelwald. It has to be you. You underestimate your talents, Mr. Scamond. You're too good, Newt. You never met a monster you couldn't love. Mr. Scamander! Do you think Dumbledore will mourn for you? Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald was directed by David Yates, who is as close to a Harry Potter veteran as it gets these days, besides J.K. Rowling. Uh, who wrote this movie, by the way? Uh, Yates has directed every film in the franchise since Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That was, at this point, 11 years ago, 2007 that came out. So he's been on the franchise a long time. He directed 5, 6, 7, 8, 
and then the first Fantastic Beast film, and now he's back for this one with a brief uh, time hanging out with Tarzan in between. Anyway, he directed it. J.K. Rowling wrote it. A uh, lot of story, so I'll just boil it down to the most simple possible elements. A young Albus Dumbledore, uh, he's played by Jude Law in this film, he recruits his former student, uh, the magical zoologist Newt Scamander, of course we met in Fantastic Beasts of Where to Find Them. He's played again by Eddie Redmayne. Dumbledore wants him to make a move against Grindelwald, who is played by Johnny Depp. Grindelwald hopes to rid the world of non-pure wizards. He breaks out of prison. He hopes to use a really powerful young wizard named Credence, who we met in the last film, played by Ezra Miller, to kind of wipe out all nomadges or muggles or whatever you call them. So guys, we talked about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the original recently. We all watched that or rewatched that. Big series set before the main events of the films that were beloved, the Harry Potter series. What do we think of Fantastic Beasts 2? Jake, let's start with you. Um, all right. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Well, my first problem is that these movies aren't about Fantastic Beasts. At all. Hardly at all. Um, <laughs> it's really just like a nice little fun fact about Newt Scamander. It's like, oh, he's he gets wrapped up in all this crazy political side versus side drama, and he also really likes animals of the wizardy kind. It's really not about animals at all. So that's my first problem. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the, I mean, the second yeah. problem is I took a couple of screenwriting classes in college. And the first – one of the first things they teach you is structure, right? Transition your first act to your second act, your second act to your third act, and your midpoint. So if your movie's two hours at the one-hour mark, you're supposed to have something big. It's supposed to be either a big reveal, an action piece, a plot twist, just something in the middle to really keep the audience like, wow – this movie is basically an hour 30 of backstory with 45 minutes of other things. They introduce all these characters and just keep telling you about them and telling you about them and telling you about them and then telling you about them some more. And I was like, great, why do we need all this? Why does this have to be a trilogy? You easily could have made the ending, your midpoint, and then you made your third movie, the ending, and made it maybe two and a half hours instead of two different two hours and 15 minute movies. But it's just like, do other things now. I don't know. <laughs> Give us something else. That, those are my main two things that I was like, I just don't understand what this franchise is doing. Yeah. Um, Nate, what did you think? So I think I had the pleasure of being the freshest viewer. I walked out of the theater just a couple hours ago now um, <laughs> after watching this. And to sum everything up, what in Merlin's beard did I just watch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> We have a C word that we use in special occasions on the show, and that word is convoluted. Oh, my God. <laughs> it This movie is all over the place. All over the place. Now, to Jake's point about how this movie has nothing to do with Fantastic Beasts, I honestly think even the movie understood that we shouldn't have called the series that. Because even on the posters, Fantastic Beasts is in the littlest font possible. And Crimes of Grindelwald is the main title of the movie. Those posters are trash, by the way, if we're yes. going there. <laughs> yeah. They're bad. Also, also yes. <laughs> Even the posters are convoluted. So out of all the criticisms that will be coming toward this movie, I feel like the fact that beasts aren't a central focus anymore, I'm fine just tossing aside. Because you know what? Yes, the title of the film doesn't match anymore. But this film at least says, I want to focus on the political drama of Grindelwald versus everyone else. The issue is that the everyone else 
is the messiest tangled wire of a movie I've seen in a long, long time. Stuff makes sense, stuff doesn't make sense, characters appear, and then we jump to a whole different set of characters in the next scene and don't look at the previous characters for another five scenes. And when they do show up, they're doing stupid things for no reason. Yes. And yeah. it is so <laughs> hard to stay invested. I checked out probably like two thirds of the way through this movie where I'm just like, I don't understand what's going on anymore and I don't care. And the worst part is the not caring part. And yeah, <laughs> this movie, oh boy. You know what I did that I never do in movies? I got up and went to the bathroom at one point. Like, wow. Really? Yeah. I was like, okay. Wow. I was like, I could hold it, but I'm not missing anything. Like, I, okay, I can't I, remember the last time I did that. That I, is actually huge. I really try not to do that, but like, I, I can't do the poker face anymore. This movie's kind of a disaster, to be honest. I saw this article earlier this week where somebody was saying that J.K. Rowling has entered her George Lucas phase. And at first, <laughs> oh, man. And at first I was like, ouch, like that hurts. And then I was like, wait a minute. That's completely right. Because what are the words you just used, Nate? Convoluted, politics, too many characters, lack of investment. That all describes episodes one and two, doesn't it? That's so mm -hmm. sad. Like, this My is the goodness. equivalent. This is the equivalent of watching the feature-length version of somebody reading the appendix of a textbook. That's what it is. There's 15 to 20 characters that require significant screen time, and yet you don't care about like any of them. The ones you do care about are pushed off to the side routinely for the ones that you don't care about at all. It's just the over mythologizing just to build franchise and build franchise. How much happens in this movie, really? Like, the finale is such, like, an anti-climax. It would be, like, the big second act piece of a lot of movies. Yes, that's what it should have been. And, yeah, like, and this is the Hobbit thing all over again, where they're yep. stretching and stretching to make money. Like, Warner yep. Brothers clearly learned nothing. And it sucks, because I really love the Harry Potter movies. Like, they did such a good job at making you care about these characters, and making you care about these world and it's really apparent why those movies work now. We, we touched on it. If you didn't listen to our freeze frame on Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, we touched on it there. But it's really apparent here that these movies need good characters and they just don't have them. I'm out on Newt. Uh, guys, I'm out. Mm. This is a guy that should not be the lead of this franchise. Jake, you brought up the point that he is so – oh, by the way, he's a zoologist. But it really should be the other way around. He's a zoologist and, oh, by the way, he's in this story. Why is he the central figure? Like, yeah. what about him is interesting? I guess he's a Ugh. fine lead, but he's not captivating enough. I, like, I'm trying to think maybe the, maybe the lead should be Ezra Miller. and No, because that, that's the boy trying to figure out who he is again, so he can't do that again. No. It, mm. Doesn't it feel like Catherine Waterston should be the lead? But this movie like, okay so marginalizes her to the point where her character is just like Newt literally travels around the country to try to find her. Like that's what she is in this movie. Yeah, that went way too far too, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so guys, like, I mean we're, we're harping on the characters, I guess, is where I'm at right now. Uh, like do you want to go try to go positive now? Because we've been kind of down on it. Sure, I'll go positive. Jude Law is – just a fun person all around. And he does Dumbledore justice here. And uh, say what you will about the man, but Johnny Depp does a convincing job for me as a Grindelwald. Like, he's at least compelling as a bad guy. 
But I think the issue with both of those characters is that neither of them get enough screen time to really justify their use. <laughs> no, yeah. I was going to say, I liked I liked Jude Law's Dumbledore as well. I think Johnny Depp was fine, but there's nothing really, other than like his appearance and the fact that you know he's a bad guy, Johnny Depp, or Grindelwald, doesn't do a whole lot to make me go, oh wow, what a villain, what a bad guy. He's just, I want the wizards to take over. Okay? Yeah, he's like the opening act. We've seen how good of a villain Voldemort is. Like, so you gotta do something different here, and they don't really. I will echo though, Nate, I think their whole subplot, subplot 14A out of (laughs) 6,000, is the most interesting one. But again, it's so marginalized. You love seeing what you see from that, and then it just shoves it off to the side again for something else. Yeah. It's just, this is stuff, the movie. The, ma- the magical <laughs> world of stuff. This is what happens when producers go, like Nate said earlier, money, 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 rush, rush, go, 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 quick, gotta get this out, gotta get this out, We gotta. people can't forget. Nobody cares if it's any good, they want it to be acceptable and make money, and that's it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, so much for positives. Yeah, yeah. I tried, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was what I had. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what I did yeah. in my written review, too, is I harped on the two of them, but at the same time, like... We'll get into what happens at the end in a bit. There are a couple decisions there that I thought were like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, in the same way that when we were talking about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom earlier in the year, where I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It's way too late, but yeah, <laughs> okay, maybe next time. But like overall, I just really didn't enjoy this at all. Maybe that's just because I'm older now, but like I was more bummed walking out of this than I was like even like when I first saw Attack of the Clones and when I first saw Battle of the Five Armies and stuff like like. Harry Potter, it was one of the last, like, consistently really good franchises across the board. And for me, that streak is over. Yeah, this one's this one's a dud. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah I, actually, I was mildly entertained throughout, so I guess I'm going to be the positive of the three, which is something to say. I, there was a couple times where I was like, all right, let's, let's get rolling. I started looking around the theater like, is anybody else really enjoying this? But I think I was more entertained than, than the two of you which I can't believe I'm going to be the positive one on this because I wouldn't even say I liked it. I thought it was just, it was, ugh, it was okay. But like, I'm just even like, I don't mean to press you on this because you're not the enemy here, but like. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Can you give me, I, and maybe maybe this should wait for spoilers, so I'm going to hold off and sure, wait for sure. spoilers, but I'm going to ask you, so start thinking standout sequences and I want to hear them. So prepare, you have five minutes. <laughs> but Uh-oh. first, is everybody okay going to ratings and then we can get into spoilers? Yeah. Yeah, I think we just got to get into it. If you're just joining us for the first time, here's how our ratings work. Uh, we grade movies based on a seat scale. So basically it goes like this. If we think a movie is perfect, it has like basically no flaws, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is really good, not quite perfect, but still really great, we give it a plush recliner. If a movie is really solid, has a couple of glaring flaws, but it's still really good, we give it a wooden seat. If a movie has a couple of good things, but it's pretty much really bad, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if a movie has basically no redeeming qualities whatsoever, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think it's a movie worth seeing in theaters with either an audience or on a big screen, we give it the bag of popcorn moniker. So, Nate, what do you think? Uh, What's your rating for Fantastic Beasts 2? Yeah, this one is a solidly damp lawn chair for me. Like, I gave the original Fantastic Beasts a nice little middle-of-the-road wooden seat. It was fine. This one has all the same positives of the last one. Like, it looks nice. Um, The characters are... The actors representing said characters are acted fine. But the issue, and the most glaring issue of 
every movie is all about plot structure and this one does a horrible job putting its pieces together and that's a negative review for me it is a damp lawn chair hands down go ahead jake um yeah i'm gonna kind of echo that when i when i first walked out of the theater i was like it's definitely worse than the first one but it's not bad so i was kind of leaning to like a very low wooden seat but after sleeping on it and kind of thinking about it i think i'm in the damp lawn chair realm as well probably a higher damp lawn chair because i gave jurassic world falling kingdom a damp lawn chair and i think that was definitely worse but this is like i'd say higher end damp lawn chair jurassic world fallen kingdom is the one that we all keep coming back to uh because that was for me i was like i was getting mad but here's the thing about that movie at least is that like at least i'm going to remember it like i saw fantastic beasts like four days ago and i'm just it's blanking on me like i'm losing like at least jurassic world made me kind of infuriated at points Mm mm-hmm Unless you could follow what was going on. This is just <laughs> dull and cathartic. Yeah, and you could follow what was happening even if it didn't really make sense. <sighs> Guys, I'm really close to Sleazy Outhouse here. I don't think I'm going to quite do it, but I really <laughs> was not into this at all. Like, And that's so disappointing for me to say because I might be the highest of the three of us on Harry Potter. I don't like I don't know, but like you probably are. I there's a couple mm-hmm. of them that are royal thrones for me. Like <laughs> they're just so well executed for what they're trying to do. Uh, And it has one of the best finales, I think, out of any movie series. Like, the final few are so good for me. That the fact that we had to circle back around and do this just for money. (sighs) Okay. I'm going to go with Damp Lawn Chair. It's a a gross, gross, filthy mud blood worthy Damp Lawn Chair. And I know I sound like Voldemort, but I just wanted to (laughs) make it sound like that. (laughs) Oh, man. We'll keep talking, but I I might be changing my mind later. You know what? Um... And Andrew, you you did this to me first a couple of years ago, and this is what kind of teetered me into the damp lawn chair realm. Um, so when Suicide Squad came out and people were enjoying it, your thing was, tell me what happened in the movie. Like, give me, <laughs> yeah. give me a rundown of the plot. Like, what happened? And I kind of started thinking about that, and I was like, ooh. So what really, if nobody saw it and they didn't care about spoilers, and I started to explain it, how well could I explain this movie? Right. That's not very good. That leans into negative. <laughs> Let's be clear. Events happening are not the same as a story. Like, right. Yes. 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 That's yes. very key. And this is that's something that this movie does not understand. So let's get into some of those key events. If you have not seen Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, good. But if you are planning on seeing it uh, and you don't want to know what happens in it, tune out now. If you have seen it or you don't care and you're just having a good time with us, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's dive into our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So, Jake, it's time to hand in your test. <laughs> what are the standout scenes of Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald? <laughs> um, there's. I just. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so the standout scenes are few and far between, and like you said, I'm kind of struggling to point them out here he's filibustering do you hear this i just (laughs) i just remember remember it holding my attention enough and that's for me important in a movie it doesn't make it good obviously but i wasn't as bored as you guys seem to have been which makes me by default the most positive that was such a cop-out answer unfortunately that was ridiculous (laughs) so honestly the only scene that i could that i could think of was i liked the big crazy cat dragon creature thing with the fluffy tail 
when that thing popped on screen, I went, ooh, I like that thing. Honestly, like, I, don't, I don't know. I forgot about that thing till you just said it. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that thing's presence and Newt handling it as a zoologist, uh, which reaffirms that keep doing that. That is fun. We like that. Yes. <laughs> um, other than that, I, I like scenes with Jude Law as Dumbledore. I thought he was good. Um, I thought the last half hour was kind of entertaining, though it might not have made that much sense. So I guess I'll retract that one. I don't know. I'm struggling. I'm trying. I'm struggling. (laughs) On that cat thing there, Jake, that scene in isolation is cute. It's uh, Newt Scamander stumbling upon a beast that needs his attention, and he successfully handles it in his unique style that no other wizard could do because he's the only person that understands mythical creatures that way. My question is, why does this beast just randomly show up in the middle of plot? We're in the we middle of the Credence plot, and <laughs> all of a sudden, they're like, oh, wait, the beast is loose. And then they run out into the street and they happen to find it just sitting around, even though I think it flies? Quote me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure it has wings, right? Yeah. I think it does. I, I don't know. So it's just on the ground for no reason and needs their attention. And then they jump back to Credence stuff. And I think that is the worst part of this movie, hands down, is all of this back and forth with Credence's arc if you can even call it that because he wants to find agree. out yeah yeah he wants to find out who he is fine all the other characters want to either capture him kill him or have them join their cause and all four of those means that credence is kind of like the MacGuffin of the story and everyone is just vying for control there and that's fine but then you focus on all of the drama within the other characters and you don't focus on credence for half the movie right and then toward the end of the movie they pull the biggest bs that i've ever seen with exposition so you have this yusuf character the guy with the calamari in his eye yeah um (laughs) yeah (laughs) who goes through this whole exposition of how he took an unbreakable vow that he has to kill credence and then you have Later, a strange character say, no, actually, who you thought you're supposed to kill is already dead. This is someone completely different. And here's this whole family tree. And you're like, okay, cool. He's Credence is a little strange now, I guess. And then they triple back it where you say, no, that's actually all a lie, too. He's actually a Dumbledore, which makes no sense to any relation of the books whatsoever. Dumbledore had his younger sister and his younger brother. Harry learned that information in books one through seven. So J.K. Rowling is either trying to put a fastball on us or the movie ends, and this would be so stupid if it's true, but the movie ends with Grindelwald just telling Credence another lie about who he is. That would be ridiculous. And they're going to retcon it in the, the third movie, which would be the stupidest franchise building I've ever seen in my life but none of it makes sense yeah like the next one should just be called fantastic beast does this any of this even matter like because it Mm -hmm. doesn't fantastic beast and where to find the plot (laughs) this movie's i miss harry i miss harry i miss hermione i miss ron yeah this whole movie is basically a building up to a maury povich reveal like that's all (laughs) it's (laughs) we're following this credence character throughout so much of it and it's just another one of the subplots and they're all stacked on top of each other i'm glad we're in spoilers because i feel like there is a lot to talk about because nate what you when what's her name goes over the family tree thing 
I feel like none of that was really necessary. Like her swapping babies because it cried too much and then the baby dying. I was like, that's harshly unnecessary for this kind of movie. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, why does any of that have to be in here? Yeah, and that whole scene is just, oh, that's what she was afraid of with the Bogart. And oh, now we're supposed to care because she confessed, but then she's going to die in the next scene anyway. Yeah. Her whole character could have been removed from the movie. And yeah. it would have been much better for it. The only reason she's in it because they teased her in the first one. Remember, she's she's like shows up in a yep. photo. Like it's just so unnecessary. Her mm-hmm. his brother is so unnecessary. Nagini? Oh, is it, that was Nagini, right? Yeah, I thought so. that's who eventually becomes Voldemort's snake. That's what I thought. Okay. Like, how mm-hmm. do we get to that point? Like, I actually think that's kind of cool that they're gonna tie that in. If I'm being honest. I just um, I don't understand the need to tie everything in like they have been. I think Harry Potter fans enjoy that kind of stuff, so I'll let that slide. I'm a Harry Potter fan, and I didn't enjoy I, it. But, me okay. too. I would, I would say <laughs> yes. I would classify myself as a Harry Potter fan. I just like the less I don't, film critic ones. I think I just don't understand why these film franchises keep doing this, where they're like, "Oh, we need everybody to connect to everybody else. It makes your universe look small." That's why we like movies like Rogue One. That's why we're excited for shows like The Mandalorian. That's why we like stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy because it's completely separate from everything else. Like, tell stories in your universe. Don't just show us things that we already know. Mm-hmm. We know how this is all going to turn out eventually. So we're just waiting for Dumbledore just hanging out at Hogwarts because we know he's eventually going to find a way out and find a way to defeat Grindelwald eventually. Spoilers, mm-hmm. I'm sure, for the future films. But, like... None of this is necessary, and the movie no. does not do a good job at making it feel necessary. No, and that's that's what I was excited for in the beginning. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That sounds very different from what we've already seen, very unique and kind of interesting. And then they just completely went back and said, good versus evil, wizards want to defeat some of the bad wizards, want to get rid of the mudbloods. And it's just like, we've we've seen a lot of that already. Why are we going back to it? Mm. Right from the first scene, this I made, this movie made me roll my eyes. When the escape of Grindelwald, some some security they have on that carriage thing, he just teleports underneath it and transports in. Where's your security? Are you kidding? Can can I address something a little unrelated to plot, but off of that point, Jake? Yeah. Please. There's a term that's really common in gaming called power creep. And it's not something I'd ever expect to mention in a movie, but this franchise is full of it. The original Harry Potter films are really cool because they show magic where you have to know a certain spell to do a certain thing. And it was more about just like how clever the person could be with the magical knowledge that they knew that characters progressed. And that's all fine and dandy. And then you get to Harry Potter 5 where you have that incredible duel between Voldemort and Dumbledore. So awesome. Where you see like full on spell slinging magic that's what real magic looks like. These are two powerful wizards duking it out, no holds barred. That's awesome. Right, not even breaking a sweat or anything. Yeah, so in this movie, and even the one before it to a certain extent, it seems like every single wizard is capable of doing this crazy thing, you know? And it just kind of cheapens everything. People are constantly doing spells without having to say them. Um, People are just busting out the killing curse with absolutely nothing yeah. to it. Like not even saying the words either. Not even saying the words. Like Yeah, I was confused about that. <laughs> like that that scene in the stadium where the Auror uh, just randomly killed a protester when you have access to stunning spells just to kind of put like a police brutality 
message in there, I guess, is what she was going for, writing-wise. I don't know. Um, it just all feels so cheap because everyone's just capable of doing the absolute pinnacle of magic now. And to crescendo it all into that big blue red CGI fest of a finale, what the hell was that, man? Yeah, I don't I don't really like I get I'm I'm gonna actually go to the positives now because I wanna do I did like the scene with Grindelwald and his you know, his big speech. I thought that was okay. I was kinda into that. But, like, at the same time, it was too little too late, so I didn't care about the different people in play, if that makes sense. Yeah. To prepare for this, I had to write down all the characters' names and their their motivations. Uh, somebody we haven't talked about at all that I really liked from the first one was Jacob. And the way they bring him back into the fold here, Dan Fogler's character, is so weird. And, again, kind of changing the concept of what we know about the Harry Potter films. Like, when you're obliviated, you're supposed to remember nothing. But now you just remember, like, bits and pieces and stuff? I, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, but that's just, that's a complete retcon just so they could bring him back, yeah, right? for sure. And that whole uh, thing with Queenie's character is so weird because they just pop out of nowhere because they have no business being in the story unless they're arbitrarily introduced they, in. They literally just show up. Like, <laughs> yeah, they so literally yeah, just yeah. show up. Um, and she thinks it's a good idea to curse the guy who's already in love with you to love you even more. And then she gets mad when he gets um, mad. And then to have her go full dark side, it doesn't... Oh, my God. <laughs> You're flustered. From a story-building <laughs> perspective, does it not make more sense to just move to a place where you can marry a muggle than to join a dark, evil cult who wants to murder all muggles because he says he might give you the freedom to marry whoever you want. Right. Like, if that's going to be your character's motivation, I want to get married, come up with a better reason to do everything right. that you're setting them up to do. Right, <laughs> Nate, thank you. In the movie was just dumb. Right. Yeah. Like, like marriage, the pinnacle of love, she wants to go about it by following a guy who wants to kill all of the muggles, which happens to be one that she wants to marry. What are you talking about? What? What? Don't you also hate, like, you know, so Tina and Newt were having, like, this connection in the first film, but because she read, like, a newspaper and found out that he was kind of, like, possibly engaged, she doesn't like him anymore? Like, stuff like that. It's just so sequely and yeah, so prequely. Actually, I forgot about that. I thought they had pretty decent chemistry in the first movie, and they just kind of do away with it in this one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, well, like... When you think about it, this whole movie completely erased the events of the last movie. That movie much, ended yeah. with... Queenie and Jacob together. That movie ended with Gwinderwald in prison. And that ended with uh, Credence dead. Mm -hmm. And this movie throws all of that out the window. So what was the point of watching the last yeah, movie? like literally the first 10 minutes. Did they ever yeah. say how Credence survived? Like, I don't think they even ever mentioned he that. He just did. Yeah. He just did. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it was JK the force. J.K. Rowling just wrote a question mark on the script, and they just kind of Right, I, uh, Yates, you figure it out. Not, okay. Anyway. <laughs> so I think we're kind of just running in circles here, to be we're completely just honest. Yeah. We're getting each other heated. So, I mean, I like the Dumbledore, and I like the Grindelwald connection. I like the idea that the vial will allow him to fight him again. It's such a MacGuffin, but whatever. I've given it up, like, in other movies. I like the implication that Dumbledore is gay, that they're finally, like, kind of leaning into that. They don't do enough with it. But that's something that could be developed further. Um, that was a nice little progressive thing there. Uh, anything else, guys? I think we need to start wrapping up. So if if you guys are getting to that point, Jake, why don't you start giving your final thoughts? Um, final thoughts, good for you, Jude Law. You did well. Um, <laughs> and 
like I don't think it's a terrible movie, but it's like why figure your stuff out? Harry Potter universe, Wizarding World, Warner Brothers, all of it. Like stop rushing and looking for the money and give us a quality Harry Potter movie like we got, you know, the other 8 of them. Right. That's what we're looking for and you're turning you're turning off your very loyal fan base. It's just you're trying to do too much with things that are just unnecessary and I don't know, knock it off. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Nate, final thoughts. Yep, this <laughs> this movie was just a mess all the way through. And when you get to the point where you're explaining things and then double backing on your explaining and then triple backing on said explanations, I'm just not engaged. I don't care enough and that's a darn shame for something as huge as what this franchise could and should be and like there's an awesome world to explore here and we're just doing this melodrama who's the father kind of stuff <sighs> it's 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 just such a waste of potential and my only my only wish is that we actually just get a solid Dumbledore story out of the next one. And everything else just goes on the backbone and they streamline everything because right. we don't need 20-some characters that half of which are going to completely change their motivations in the next movie. Yeah. Ugh, hard pass for me. Avoid this one if you can, folks. I think we're just, we're getting closer and closer to these movies not being for general audiences. And maybe, I mean, like, we say we're, like, huge fans, and I get it. And, I mean, like, we are pretty big fans, clearly, Nate and I are. But at a certain point, are they just going to become so inside baseball and, oh, this is a reference to this and, oh, this is a reference to that, that if you haven't read, like, the appendix books, like, where are we at this point with that kind of stuff? It's just – it doesn't make sense to me that this was such a huge franchise and they're stepping away from general audiences to make this convoluted fan servicey mess. And it sucks because this movie is just so all over the place and so incohesive that – I'm just really not looking forward to the next few. Uh, and that's the saddest state. I'll stick with my damp lawn chair. I've calmed down. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, it's tough. <laughs> I know. Like, it's hey, tough. Hey, Miss Rowling, not everything needs a backstory. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. Uh, where one day maybe we'll be back to where we need to be. But that's not today. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast and for our review of Fantastic Beasts. What did you think of the film? Please let us know. Nate, how can they let us know? How can they find us on the internet? All righty. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Metal Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For any questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And, of course, if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. If... You would like to hear more from us. We have a spinoff show called Freeze Frame where we jump back in time and we talk about some of the bigger movies of history that have to kind of deal with movies that we're talking about in recent weeks. Uh, So join us for those. They're much shorter than these main podcasts. Last time, of course, we reviewed the original Fantastic Beasts. Our next podcast, whenever that may be, we're going to be talking about Creed 2, the new sequel that was released over this Thanksgiving holiday. Um, So join us for that. For Jay Kensler and for Nate Longarini, I'm Andrew Ogier. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.